Good morning, good morning. How you guys doing? Good. Yeah, Sarah, love it. If you're joining in online, welcome. My name is Dan. I'm an associate pastor here. It is good to have you. Uh, it is good to see you virtually or in person. It's wonderful. Um, welcome. If you're new, tuning in online, or if you're new here, uh, welcome. It is good to have you guys. Um, it's kind of ironic, actually, because um, last week I kind of preluded the service and worship there. Like last week was all about um, God bringing his, or uh, Habakkuk bringing his frustrations and complaints to God, and then he positions himself waiting and listening and looking for God's response. And today we're going to see how God's justice comes to play and how um, he will humble the pride and the arrogant. Um, but I say it's ironic because I'm not lying in our pre-service meeting, you guys. I'm like, this might be one of the most beautiful days. It wasn't too cold. It wasn't too hot. The sun is out. I'm like, this is perfect. Two minutes before service, first service starts, these winds. They're wonderful. They're beautiful, aren't they? And we can be thankful for them. So we are, but I mean, it's a good, it's a good reminder. Like this is the creation God has given us. Like the winds help sustain life. Like it, I, I say that a little sarcastically, but also like very gratefully as well. And so um, it's a humbling experience when you go through all the planning and prepping and you're wanting everything to go right. And then God's like, oh yeah, I'm doing my thing too. And so that's, that's our position heading into today. And um, last week we got, we got real, really, really quick. Um, basically, we're walking through this book of Habakkuk when God doesn't. Last week was when God doesn't make sense. This week is when God doesn't stop evil. And we don't have all of the answers for you guys. I don't have all the magical answers to make all of our problems go away or anything like that. What we can look at is Habakkuk's response. And last week was him frustrated and he brings his complaints in a very respectful way towards God. And he goes, God, this doesn't make sense. Help me understand and please do something about it. He's watching his country and his nation be carried off into captivity and being treated brutally by the kingdom of Babylon. And so he positions himself on this watchtower and he's waiting and watching and listening for God's response. And so I encouraged us last week and um, I, I live in Escondido on the fourth floor of an apartment building. And so I have my, my little watchtower, if you would. Um, overlooking the city of Escondido, and I spent a little bit of time this week just like looking out, God, what do you have? Everything isn't perfect right now. Things aren't lining up. Things don't make sense right now. But what is it you want? What are you trying to communicate to me? What are you trying to communicate to us? And so um, hopefully you guys were able to spend some time doing that as well. And our main point last week was sound theology or a sound understanding of who God is doesn't mean you can't ask emotional questions from your heart. And that's exactly what Habakkuk did. He's going, God, I, I know you're holy. I know you're righteous. I know you're good. But what is playing out right now is brutal. It's not just. They're mistreating people. Um, they're, they're, they're killing people. They're killing us. This just does not make sense. And so it's okay. I wanted to provide a space for us to be honest with ourselves, but also with God. And so as we get into this, it's going to, God's response is a pretty heavy one, but he does respond. 
And so Habakkuk has positioned himself to listen and to watch, and God's going to come and he's going to respond, but it's probably not in the way that he was hoping or expecting, but it's very unique in its own way. And so I'm excited to get in with you, with you guys. But before we get there, I want to remind you guys, I did this last week as well, that um, Israel and Habakkuk, they're in a really, really tough situation. Their, their, their kingdom is crumbling. They're being taken, they're being taken over um, and they're being carried off family by family. Some families are being separated. Cities are being burned down. It's, they were as a cruel, cruel way. I alluded to it last week. The Babylonians were known for their cruelty. They'd hook um, a, a, literally a hook in their prisoners' noses and take them off into captivity that way. So Habakkuk's going, God, this isn't, this isn't right. They're evil and they're coming in and treating people poorly. This isn't right. Um, and so I wanted to remind us last week and this week, it's in Lamentations 3, verses 31 through 33. And this is, uh, uh, this is a contemporary. Jeremiah writes this. Um, but this is uh, his communication with God um, in Lamentations verse 30, or uh, chapter 3, verse 31 through 33, it says, for no one is cast off by the Lord forever. So even though the Israelites are about to go into captivity, they're not going to stay there forever. For no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. Unfailing love. Verse 33, for he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone does not bring God joy to see people hurting. There's no joy in God's heart when he sees us going through difficulties. He does not bring that upon us in his being, in his core, from his heart. And so that's our reminder as we get into God's response here. And I want to remind you guys, a lot of you guys know, but maybe some of you don't. I talked this a little bit more last week. Um, and I'm not going to get into quite as much detail um, this week, but about a year and a half ago, my wife of six and a half years died of cancer. And I know a lot of you guys here tuning in have been by my side, supporting me a lot of ways, praying all of that stuff. But I, I say that and I start today off because, and we talked about it last week because I've been wrestling with a lot of these same things. God, this doesn't make sense. I don't like how this played out. I don't like that my 28-year-old wife died way too early. I don't like this. This doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel good. This doesn't feel wholesome and holy. These are my honest frustrations and questions with God. And so I, I say that because I am wrestling through this just like Habakkuk is in his situation. And maybe you, wherever you are, tuning in or here, whatever you've been through, maybe it's something you will go through that you'll be forced to wrestle with this and it's okay to wrestle with it. But what's encouraging today is God responds to Habakkuk's complaint and frustrations and God's response is very thorough. Habakkuk voices a couple complaints and God comes back with like 10 times more thorough answer. And another really, really unique thing is God's response turned Habakkuk's worry to worship. But he's not going to answer exactly how Habakkuk wanted him to. And he's not going to answer exactly in the timing God wanted him to. But he does answer. And it's going to turn Habakkuk's heart from worry into worship. And so there's, there's our little context there. 
Um, at the end of the day, Babylon, they've been this evil, evil country. They've been taking advantage of Israel, but not just Israel, all the surrounding countries and kingdoms. And Babylon must answer for their evil to all nations, not just Israel. And so now we're going to get into, we're going to slowly walk through in chapter two. We're in Habakkuk chapter two today. So go ahead and turn there if you're not there yet. Um, the uh, the uh, table of contents is your best friend. If you don't know where it is, it's a, it's, a, it's a short book in a weird place in the Bible. And it's not a very popular one. So go ahead and turn there. Habakkuk chapter two, verses two through 20. We're going to walk through the first couple and then God's getting, God's going to get into his judgment on Babylon and God's answer. And so here we go. Habakkuk chapter two, verse two. It says the Lord's answer. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation, write down my response and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. So that people may run with it. Why does he start here? He's going Habakkuk, write this down. This isn't just for you. This is for the people of Israel, this is for generations. You see, um, there's, there's six-year-olds, there's 10-year-olds that are being carried off into captivity and they have nothing to do with Israel's past sin. They have nothing to do with it. They're victims here. And maybe we find ourselves in that place too where our circumstances around us, we had no control over and we feel victims to it. So he goes, write this down. This is important. I am just. I am holy. I'm going to fulfill this. And I want generation after generation to remember and to see that. Future generation after generation can read it and believe it. Verse 3. And this is kind of our, our theme verse for today. It says, for the revelation awaits an appointed time. Whoo. God's word, God's response awaits an appointed time. He doesn't say it's going to happen right now. We're actually going to find out God's fulfillment and justice is going to come to completion 47 years from his response. But he does do it. And he follows through exactly how he said he would. 47 years later, for the revelation awaits an appointed time. That's why it's so important for us to stand on this watchtower and to listen and to look. Because if we're not paying attention, we might miss it. it. Continues on, it speaks of the end and it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. Though my promises linger, wait for it. They are worth waiting for. It will certainly come and will not Delay. It will happen in 47 years. Now, this is where I can just be real and transparent with you guys. Like in, in my own <laughs> moments on my watchtower, things have not happened in my timeline that I wanted to. I'm still trying to wrestle out answers and responses from God going, God, I can't. I'm trying to make sense of all this, but I just, I, I'm not seeing it right now. And the last month, month and a half, guys, I've cried so much. It's been, a, it's, it's, a, it's weird. Grief hits you in very, very weird places and strange times and unexpected times. It's been a very, very difficult month, month and a half. And I go, God, why couldn't I have been a little bit more better by now? 
Why does it have to be so hard? And this is the real wrestle that Habakkuk's having as well. It doesn't come in the timeline that we were hoping or maybe demanding. Verse 4, he goes, see the enemy is puffed up. Babylon, they've, they're, they're the big kids on the block now. They're arrogant. They're feeling themselves. They're impressed with themselves. They're going, look at us. Says his desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Notice that the enemy, Babylon, they're puffed up. The righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Notice it is the direction of their faith that defines their righteousness, not the amount of faith. Jesus makes that quite clear. He says, have faith in me, have faith in me. All it takes is a little mustard seed, a minuscule amount of faith. But if you have faith in me, if your direction of faith is in me, I'm going to shock you by it. And of course, faith, as Hebrews defines, is assurance, the assurance of things hoped for, certain of what we do not see. Well, this is where Habakkuk's at. He's watching his country, the people he loves, his family, be carried off into Babylon. Faith is the assurance that God is going to follow through with his words, even if it's not in the timing and the place of our choosing and liking. He will do it. The assurance of things hoped for is certain of what we do not see. So with that being said, this is, this is the beginning of God's response for him. And he's going to get into five woes. Whoa, it got windy there for a minute. <laughs> but a woe is defined in scripture, as you'll see it in, a, in, verse chapter, in verse 6 here. In the second line, it says, woe to him who piles up stolen goods. So this woe means, like, it's like a warning or it has threatening undertones to it. It's not the way I just used it for the wind, to be clear. <laughs> this is serious. When, it, when God says, whoa, it's not like, whoa, what a good shot. This is a threat and a warning to Babylon. And he's going to be very, very thorough in their destructive tendencies, their violence, their injustice, and the way that they've treated people. And so we're going to slowly work through these. Um, I, I, I queued up the first service because I, I know it can be difficult to see the screen here. And so if you actually tune into the service online to pull these up, that might be easier for you. That might not be. Um, and so I just thought I'd cue you in there. So I've got a little chart. So we've got five woes, five warnings, five threats that God responds to. Again, this is Babylon's wickedness. First one, here we go. The first warning comes in um, verse Six, it says, woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. Verse eight says, because you have plundered many nations and the peoples who have left you will plunder you for you have shed human blood and you have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. His first woe, his first warning is directly related to their greed and violence. They've been greedy not just have you taken items and taken things from other people, but you've used them in wrongful gain, in unjust ways, in wicked ways, in ways that put people down and puff yourself up. 
The first warning highlights greed and violence. He continues on with his second warning. He says this in verse 9. says, Woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain, setting his nest on high. Verse 10, you've, you've plotted the ruin of many peoples, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. The second woe is for killing and extravagant living. See, they're not just stealing. They're stealing at other people's expenses so they can live a luxurious lifestyle. Guys, Babylon, I wish I could have seen Babylon in all of its glory. As I was reading and studying, you guys, as much as like Jerusalem sounded like amazing when that was in all its glory, guys, Babylon was insane. It was known for its huge walls, unpenetrable walls, over 100 feet tall, and so wide a four-horse chariot could pass on it. The top of the wall. The king's palace was known for these luxurious gardens that overlooked the entire kingdom. And they did this, like uh, verse 9 says, like a nest on high, like an eagle's nest, untouchable to all of the nations. You take it from everyone else and you just put it all into your own kingdom. Your killing and your extravagant living will be judged and it will come back to haunt you. That's his second warning. Third one. I know this is, I know this is deep and heavy, we should also be encouraged that a God takes notice of injustice and of killing, of violence. So the third warning comes in verse 12. It says, Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. God ha Has not God Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire? The, the third warning gets into injustice and the exploitation of people. Mistreating people. They will be punished for it. Again, this doesn't come for 47 years. When we witness injustice, when we witness violence, we want it to be, this needs to be taken care of now. And what doesn't happen in our timeline, when things don't get fixed in our timeline, we get upset. But these do not pass God unnoticed. And it says in uh, verse 13 that this will be fuel for the fire. Basically all this injustice, all this extravagant living, all this plunder that you've taken from everyone else and poured into yourself, it's just going to be a bigger fire when you fall. In fact, in uh, Ecclesiastes, um, the writer of Ecclesiastes is wrestling with like the purpose and meaning behind life. And, and he goes... What's the point in mustering up a lot of wealth now knowing that I'm just going to pass it on to people after me and I don't know if they're going to use it well. It's just fuel for the fire. And so Babylon's built up this massive kingdom and what God's going is no judgment's coming and everything that you've amassed is just going to be fuel for the fire. Fourth one. Fourth warning. This is God's response. This is God's warning to the Babylonians. Woe to him who gives... Drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskins till they are drunk so that they can gaze on their naked bodies. Verse 16, you'll be filled with shame instead of glory. Verse 17, the violence you've done to Lebanon will overwhelm you and your destruction of animals will terrify you for you have shed human blood. The fourth warning 
is in regards to dishonor and shame committed to other humans. They have shamed them. They've been dishonoring to them. And of course, violence done to people, but also the earth. See what Babylon did, uh, there, was a, there was a kingdom that was called Lebanon. And they were known for their massive cedar trees. Kind of like the redwoods up in Northern California. They were known for these massive, glorious trees. And Babylon would come in and just chop them down for fun, knowing that it destroys the reputation of that kingdom. See, God doesn't just care for people. He cares for every aspect of his creation, including the animals that were slaughtered for no reason or for fun, including the trees that were chopped down for no reason whatsoever or carried off to build these extravagant palaces. God cares for all of his creation. And they will be punished for their mistreatment of it. And the fifth and final warning comes in verse 19. It says, Woe to him who says to wood, come to life, or to a lifeless stone, wake up. And this is directly related to their idolatry. They made idols. They worshipped tons of different idols. Um, it was not God. They put a bunch of stuff above him, like their military, again, their kingdoms, their palaces. Um, and he goes, you've, you've made gods and you've worshipped them and you will be punished for that. And then... He follows this up to, to bring conclusion to his response and his judgment of Babylon. In verse 20, it says, The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Guys, today we're going to, we're wrestling through a lot of heavy and difficult stuff. And it's not going to, we're not going to have a ton of resolution at the end of today, just like last week. Habakkuk stuck on this watchtower, looking out, waiting, watching, listening. And God's response is very, very clear. It's very holy and very just. It doesn't come in the way and the fashion that Habakkuk was hoping, and it sure did not come in his timeline. But it did, and verse 20 reminds us, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord, or Jehovah, or the all-existing one, the always-existing one, has remained constant. He's never left, nor forsaken his people. And so, to summarize all of these woes and warnings, we'll put it on the screen. God recognizes the injustice and promises to do something about it, but perhaps not in the timing Habakkuk was hoping. And I can stand here. And I can say that God's answered some of my prayers. Still waiting for some others. Wasn't always in the way that I was hoping for him to answer it. And it is not in the timing I was hoping for. And I say that because I'm wrestling with this. And wherever you are, maybe you've wrestled with something a long time ago. Maybe something happened a long time ago. You're still trying to wrestle through. Wherever you are what we've seen in Habakkuk is it's okay to struggle and wrestle through this stuff because God's final word is holiness and justice and it will happen. But what I want us to focus on is a bigger picture this morning as we uh, kind of take a turn towards the end here. <laughs> and it's been heavy. And so we're going to 
continue on, but I want us to focus on a bigger picture here. And we're going to focus on the king of Babylon. His name is Nebuchadnezzar. He's responsible for all this cruelty, violence, unjust gain, extortion, injustice, exploitation, idolatry. He's been the one that's leading the charge in all this. And what I want us to remember about Nebuchadnezzar is a really, really unique thing. Is that while Habakkuk's on this watchtower, complaining to God, guess who's over here? A young dude. His name's Daniel. Not me. His name's Daniel. He's about to be carried off into Babylon. And if we stop the picture right there, we're like, man, this is really, really messed up. But it doesn't stop there. Daniel, of course, is carried off into ban uh, Babylon with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And you guys know the story. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow down to the idol. So they're thrown in the fire and, of course, not burned. Daniel's accused of worshiping another god when they should only worship Nebuchadnezzar. He's the king. He's the powerful one. He'd been a good friend of Nebuchadnezzar, but when Nebuchadnezzar heard about it, he passed the law. You guys know the story. He's thrown to the lion's den. The lions are like, now nah, we're good. And he's saved. So as Habakkuk is complaining and pouring out his heart to God. God is preparing Daniel to head into literally the lion's den in Babylon and be a witness to Nebuchadnezzar and a kingdom that is far from him. Big picture is really, really important here. And Nebuchadnezzar's life is going to be forever changed because of his interaction with Daniel and the God that Daniel served. And so in Daniel, we read, this is, uh, this is before he comes to this total realization. But in Daniel chapter 4, verses 30 through 32, it says this. It says, um, uh, this is King Nebuchadnezzar. And he's looking out over his massive kingdom. And he goes, is not this great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Arrogant much? Verse 31, even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you. God speaks directly to King Nebuchadnezzar now when he says, King Nebuchadnezzar, your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with wild animals and you will eat grass like an ox. You, what you think is so good and so amazing right now, it's all going to be gone. The way you've humiliated other people, you're going to be humiliated ten times as much. You see, you treated people cruelly, but they never got down on all fours and ate grass. And that's what it did. In fact, Daniel recounts the story. It says his, his, his hair grew out like a mane. His nails grew out like a claws, it says. The, descri the descriptive words there are literally to describe him like a wild animal. And it says that he got down on all fours on his hands and knees and he ate grass to stay alive. The king of Babylon. Now you go, Daniel, why did you bring this up? Because it says that after all of this happened, God restored Nebuchadnezzar's mind. And he looked out 
and he recognized, he's like, man, it's not about me. It's about God. And the way that I lived was offensive to him. And it says that he turned his heart toward heaven and he turned his posture towards heaven. This is the same guy that's sitting on the top of his kingdom going, this is amazing because of me. He's going, no, 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 this is not about me. And this brings us to a really, really difficult place at the end here. And there's probably going to be an aspect to this, to this final point that you guys probably aren't going to like because I don't totally like it. But God doesn't just care for the heart of the oppressed. He deeply cares for the heart of the oppressor. Why? Why would God care for someone like Nebuchadnezzar? He was cruel and ruthless to so many people. Why would God care for someone like him? Why would he care for someone so evil as him? Because he's an image bearer. He bears God's holy image. He was created in the image of God, just like you, just like myself, just like all the Babylonians, just like Israel. You see, God doesn't just care for the heart of the oppressed. He cares for them. Of course he does. We've seen that. His justice will be complete. But he deeply cares for the heart of the oppressor as well. Why? Because they are image bearers along with the oppressed, along with you and myself. You see, when we get to the heart of God here, when we see this whole story play out, we can look back. Great hindsight is twenty twenty, right? We can look back and we go, oh, it's an amazing picture. Like, that's so cool that Nebuchadnezzar, like, gave his life to God at the end. Like, that's so cool. Well, guess what? Do you really think the people of Israel saw it that way? I don't think so. So when we're in, we're in the thick of it, when we're in the mess, it's really, really hard. But that's why... The Lord instructed Habakkuk to write this down so that we can have it now, so that we can be encouraged now. You see, the pride, the proud relies on him or herself. The righteous rely on God. It is the direction of our faith, not the amount, as Jesus would make very, very clear. He says, hey, all you need, if you have faith in my direction, you have faith in me, all you need is a tiny little mustard seed and I'm going to blow your mind with that amount of faith. So where does this leave us now? We're going to we're going to be entering a time of communion. You're like, "Whoa, whoa. Daniel, where's the good news here?" <laughs> but as I did all this research, you guys and um prepped this and God really comes down on Babylon here. But as I researched, I, I looked up in Micah, guys, and uh, in Micah, God makes it quite clear that ilti- Israel is guilty of all of these same practices. You see, Israel, now, they, they, were, they were the afflicted ones when Habakkuk's complaining, but there was at one point, they were the ones on top. And they were the ones that were mistreating people. And they were the ones taking advantage of people. And they were the ones being violent for no reason. They were the ones building their ex- ex- elaborate and luxurious palaces. You see, uh, Solomon's known for the amazing temple that he built God, which it was. His palace was like 10 times better for himself. 
So Israel's just just as guilty, you guys. And as I look back and I look at what I highlighted here, um, they were warned for... Um, Let's take a look. Warned for their greed, their violence. They're warned for the uh, the killing, the extravagant living, the injustice, the exploitation, or taking advantage of people, dishonoring or shaming others, idolatry, putting things above God. And I go, oh, you know, I've 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 never killed someone, but I've done all of these other things. And I think this is where it gets difficult for us. Just like Israel was. See, they're complaining about their, their right where they are at. But as we kind of take this turn towards communion, you guys, we have to focus back to our own hearts. God goes, stop pointing fingers. Stop making excuses. Turn your hearts. Turn your hearts back to me. He's telling Israel for 40 years, turn your hearts, turn your hearts, turn your hearts. And they didn't do it. And he's like, Babylon's going to come in. And when Babylon comes in, guys, he offers the king of Babylon an opportunity to turn his heart, and he does. And it's one of the most beautiful things that I think is in Scripture. And it says this in 2 Corinthians, this is why we have to turn it inward to ourselves and examine our own hearts with our own the way we view people, how we take advantage of others, how we uh, put idols or other things above God and his place in our life. And it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, it says this, For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. God's justice is not just exclusive for these super, super evil people. It's everyone. It's you. It's me. It's Israel. It's Babylon. It says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what we have done, whether good or bad. Now, I don't know about you guys. When I think of approaching the creator of the heavens and the earth and giving account of my entire life, that's terrifying. Now, God isn't a God that just wants to, wants to strike terror into all of us. That's, that's not his point here. The point here is reminding us, turn your hearts back. Turn your hearts back. Israel was guilty of all of the same wrongs, and they simply didn't view the same way because, you know, they were God's chosen people. God, make an exception for us. Maybe you've been there. God, make an exception for me. Don't be quite so cruel with my punishment. The danger lies when we look past our own shortcomings, just like King Nebuchadnezzar did. And he was humbled for it. And yet in all of his glory and in all of his humbling, God still refused to give up on him. And so again, a good reminder for us, you guys, is this final big picture as faith comes up here and preps us for our final song. While Habakkuk is complaining to God, God is prepping Daniel to be a witness, not just to Nebuchadnezzar, but to the entire Babylonian kingdom. Guys, when we make it all about ourselves, we lose the bigger picture of what God is doing around us. And this is, this, this is real. If I just sit in my misery, you guys, I miss out on the other opportunities that God is doing and working in ways I could have never imagined. 
if there's one thing I can encourage you guys today, and this is, I'm saying it to myself too, please understand that. It's not about me. It's not about you. Turn your hearts. Turn your hearts. Turn your hearts. If Jesus wanted to come as a strong kingdom like Babylon, he would have. If Jesus wanted to come in this massive grand conquest type thing, he would have. Peter wanted him to. He's like, Jesus, come on, let's go. I've got my sword ready to go. They're trying to take you. I'm going to defend you. And so he whips out his sword and slashes off the priest's servant's ear. And Jesus is going, no, no, Peter, you, you're missing out here. This is not my kingdom. My kingdom is nothing like any kingdom you'll see in this earth. You see, the Romans were just like the Babylonians, just like the Assyrians, just like Israel, like all the kingdoms, uh, America, name all the other kingdoms of the world, you guys. It's, that's not what God came to do. He says, put your sword away. Not only does he say, put your sword away, he goes over and he heals this man in front of Peter. He says, see what a sword can do? But see what I can do when you try to do it your own way. So regardless of where we find ourselves, maybe we've made wrong decisions. Maybe we find ourselves in the middle of frustrations or suffering or pain. Maybe you're in a similar position to me or maybe something way, way different, really, really difficult in its own way. We have an opportunity to posture ourselves and our hearts towards Jesus. To humble ourselves like Nebuchadnezzar and Maybe get on our hands and knees and go, God, it's not about me. It's about you. And it might, God will respond. It might not be exactly what we want to hear. And it's probably not going to be in the timing that we want. And I highlighted this last week, you guys, and this brings us right into remembering the sacrifice of Jesus because Jesus himself is going, God, Father, please, any other way. Notice God responds. He doesn't leave Jesus going, figure it out. He responds, but it's not in his timing, not the timing Jesus was hoping for. And he goes, no, 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 but don't, don't, don't forget that the, the end of this is so much more beautiful, so much more wonderful than you can ever imagine. And it's going to get worse before it gets better. But the, the, the better picture is coming. Habakkuk's not over, you guys. The better picture is coming yet. We're not done with the series. We're still going to be wrestling through this stuff. But right now, if there's one thing we can take away from God's judgment on evil is an opportunity to turn our hearts towards him. That's all we can do. We've messed up. I've messed up. You've messed up. All of us, maybe we've gone through some horrible things, whatever it is. We're frustrated with God. We're angry with him. We don't, it doesn't make sense. Or evil's happening around us and we want to see justice right now. Or we make it about ourselves and not about him. And so I encourage you as we prepare to take communion, remember the sacrifice of Jesus. Remember that the the evil that Habakkuk's witnessing, Jesus experienced the same injustice and evilness. The Son of God put on a cross, illegally tried in the middle of the night, 
strategically so that they could get their way. Yeah, when they carried him off from the garden, according to Jewish law, that was an illegal, an illegal gathering. Secret, cruel, unjust. Treated and abused like a, like a murderer. Maybe that's the point. That Jesus took on all that pain and suffering, all the brutality of every violent act, every injustice, every exploitation, every dishonor and shame, so that we don't have to. See, God doesn't want to shame us. He takes no, He takes no joy. He doesn't afflict from his heart. But he gives us an opportunity to just simply say, will you trust me? Because I have Daniel working over here. I know where you're at is hard, but man, do I have a plan over here. It's not going to be in your time. It's not going to be the way you want it to, but it's going to be very, very beautiful. You guys ever think that like we'd see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven? Think about that. One of the most cruel kings in history. Now to some of us that might sound unjust, but when I look at my life and I look at all the things that I've probably committed on this list as well, I go, thank you, Jesus. Literally, thank you, Jesus, for coming and taking on that shame. And so if you have communion elements, you can prepare to take them. If you have them at home, that's wonderful. If you don't, Stephen's got some over in the tent. But let's posture our hearts and simply take this opportunity to turn our hearts towards Jesus. So if you believe in Jesus, if you trust in him, you may take your communion now.